This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Oh, good morning, everyone. What is it? Sunday morning. What time is it? It's 10 a.m. It's radiotherapy time. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Doolittle. Now, joining us in the studio this morning, we have some special people, including our special guest, who is Dr. Erica Sloan. Erica is a cancer biologist at Monash University Pharmaceutical Sciences and a senior lecturer at Monash University Faculty of Pharmacy, and her team is studying the effects of stress on cancer. Is stress like a fertiliser for cancer growth? Does it impact on treatment? She's in to tell us all about it. Now, as well as Erica, we also have our A-team of panellists. How's that? I've, I've, I've elevated you guys. Every You're time. our A-team. It's just gold. I love our A-team. <laughs> Dr. Capri is our GP with a special interest in medical student teaching and women's health. Capri has dot, 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 dot. That's what it says on my leading sheet. Now, as we walked in, she said she's going to talk about something to do with health with a little bit of an Olympics tinge, something about the benefits of exercise, or maybe it's the benefits of being an elite athlete and... Um, Running in front of a hundred million, thousand billion, trillion people or whatever. I'm going to keep Olympics. you guessing. Oh, good. I love it when you keep <laughs> you guessing. So, Dr. Capri is going to talk about dot, 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 dot. But also with us is Dr. Trainer Wheels. Dr. Trainer Wheels, as you know, is a medical student. She's on the way. She's on the way from misery to happiness <laughs> today. Aha, aha. Um, Wheels has been to the movies and she's seen something with a medical bent, a movie called Nuts. She's going to, I think, review it. I don't really know either because we've done no preparation. Apparently, <laughs> it's about a doctor. Capri and I haven't seen it, as I put on the Facebook page, because we never go out. Oh, who would go out on a Saturday night? I mean, I've got to be in bed by about 8 o'clock. You know, I mean, my food, I eat it at 5.30 in the afternoon. Resting your voice. It's digested by then, (laughs) and it's time to go to sleep. So uh, we're just happy to know that um, Wheels has been out there doing it for us. And, of course, we've got Kent on the panel. He's pushing the buttons. He's producing. He's keeping us on track. He's slapping us down if we get out of line. Now, I want to tell you something else. Don't forget, jump on our Facebook page if you want to have your say. Radiotherapy on Triple R and state your case. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what we're doing well. Or just tell us about your health or other people's health, whatever you like. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 Triple R in Melbourne, Australia. Capri's having a go at me already. She says I haven't taken my medications this morning, which is is doctor joke. It's like a dad joke. It's doctor dad joke. But I'm hyper. I'm always hyper on Sunday That's morning because I st- I get up nervous. Oh shit! Got to get into. Oh, did I just swear? Got to get to the radio. Got to have coffee. Have two cups. How are you, Capri? I'm very well, thank you. Not quite as hyper as you. I'm have you just been trying to chill out here? You've been up late watching Olympics. Yeah, not really. I just sort of look, uh, go for the highlights and check out the online what's been happening no i'm not an avid watcher what about you wills what about you what have you been doing um studying mainly have you got exams coming up yeah always, oh, always. you are so lucky i did who, get to see a few films though right but who doesn't love the lead up to exams oh, staying yes. at home <laughs> yes. books open although these days it's probably computer open <laughs> Making no, how do you? Because in our day, Capri, you know, the feature of exams was textbooks and highlighters oh, or had, underlining one yeah, or the other. Yeah, I had every colour and every line was highlighted, but just before <laughs> just the, the exams, I would yeah. have to get a different colour to over. Oh. 
over highlight the original highlight because that was the really important. You know what I call that? <laughs> yeah. Hyper highlight. <laughs> it's gold. Yeah, that's what I. How do you highlight do. these days in this in the digital age, young wheels? Well, I just do a bit of a combination of things. I read a bit of textbook. I read the lecture slides from the hundreds of lectures we've had and make notes and read them and highlight you've them. Got, you've been struggling because you were telling me a lot of the tutors are really crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Capri is a tutor. <laughs> Sorry, Capri. Hey, um, poor old... I have tutored training wheels. Oh, good. Yeah. Poor old Dr Erica Sloan, sitting in the middle, wondering what she's got herself into. <laughs> Last time she came into the studio, she was on Einstein and Go-Go, and we stole her because we thought she was so good. Um, and now you're sort of, sort of dumped in this chaos. How are you, Erica? I'm well, thanks. I'm hearing all about stress. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Makes me feel at home. <laughs> yeah, and you're going to talk about stress and yeah. cancer a little bit later. That is such a fascinating topic because it's one of those ones, you know, people have been talking about for years, but no one's been able to nail down anything, you know, fairly solid. Your group have changed all that. We have. We have. Be delighted to tell you about it. I can't wait. Hey, um, for our little catch-up segment, though, we did think we'd go with an Olympic theme. And uh, Capri's been uh, fiddling around with uh, the old internet. The old internet. And uh, you got a few thoughts. It does. Whenever you say fiddling, these (laughs) fiddling has taken on and taken on an unfairly inappropriate. It's um, one of those words. Tinge. And the way you said internet, that was a bit... Internet. No, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Not let's good. Let's cut, move on. Or let's yep. just go straight on to... So um, Capri's been doing some research around the Olympic sports and health. What have you got to tell that's us? That's quite a strong word. I've just <laughs> been... <laughs> research is probably a strong word. So I'm not actually going to talk about the benefits of health in detail because I think most people are aware that um, some regular exercise is beneficial for both your physical and emotional health. So I don't think we need to... That sort of labour that point. What I do want to harness is this uh, is the fact that the Olympics are on and this trickle down effect that people talk about, whereby if you've um, people tend to engage uh, increased sports participation when there's a major sporting event. Mm. So I'm hoping to sort of harness that inspiration that some people might be feeling, although other people, uh, cynics, would say that it actually just inspires people to sit down and be glued to their flat screen. However, um, it has inspired me a little bit, but what's inspired me more... Well, I know, first of all, training wheels and do little... You are already very good role models because you um, sit on bikes and cycle around Victoria or Melbourne, um, whereas for me, I've been very slack. I've had a sort of a 10-year hiatus of any form of regular exercise, so I feel quite guilty when I'm counselling my patients about uh, regular exercise and the benefits and that they should be, you know, exercising 30 minutes a day, three days a week, and I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, well, that does sound like a good idea. (laughs) So I figure that it's time for me to do as I say. So I have been doing a little bit of research as to, as into what the best form of exercise is for your general health. Oh, and right. it looks like jogging has um, hit the top of the list. Ooh. So when we talk about jogging, we're talk- not talking about running. It's more, a more of a leisurely trot, really, which um, <laughs> appeals to me. Um, because I'm not into the sort of more uh, high-impact type exercise. Mm -hmm. And it appeals to me on a few levels. One, it's very accessible. I don't have to go to a venue, uh, wait for the doors to open and be part of a, you know, a synchronised group because I don't really like that whole Zumba yoga type phenomenon. I have tried that and many memberships have gone by the wayside. Um, So it's quite accessible from my home. I just walk out the door. I don't have to spend a lot of money, and I know Doodle will be upset about this, on expensive equipment and the latest, you know... Oh, it won't work then. (laughs) If you haven't spent spent a fortune on your runners, 
I'll get on to that in a minute. And also, um, hopefully it'll be enjoyable as well and I might even be able to take the dogs with me if I'm only sort of jogging at a leisurely pace. So... Having decided what my form of poison is, uh, I then had to obviously find out how to get started. And I think um, with my patients, that's the hardest thing. They all kind of agree, yes, it sounds like a good idea. Some of them for preventative health measures, some because it will help control their chronic disease. I have a family history of osteoporosis, so I'm keen to do something that's weight-bearing. So it's it's about getting started. So I did go to the internet. I did fiddle with the internet, as you said, doodle, (laughs) and I found a list of um, tips for people who want to start with jogging. By the way, it has been shown that jogging, um, as compared to other forms of exercises, can actually increase your life expectancy by five to six years. So, again, it does sound like the way to go for me as I'm getting onto the other side of... You know, just on that point, you know, often when I'm at the gym, I'm bored stiff. You know, the gym can be tough. But you know what I always remind myself? It's effectively free time because I know my life is going to be extended by probably more than the time I spend at the gym. So if I get an hour at the gym, I always this is when I'm bored and I'm thinking, why do I have much longer till this time's up? I think to myself, hey, this is free lifetime. It's I'm actually getting a bonus life, so it actually doesn't count. So I'm not wasting time at all. It's free time. What yeah, a good, way to good think point. Of it. Yeah, good point. I love it. And it actually ties into something that one of the tips sort of talks about that. Okay, so tip number one, which I struggled with immediately, was <laughs> this that is like one of those nighttime talk shows. You know, I feel like Steve Isaac. Okay, tip number one. What Here is it? Is. Yeah, <laughs> ring, to Capri. Tip number one. Ring a bell. Well, tip number one is improve your technique. Well, I don't have one. <laughs> so, so then I read the the um, recommendation was, and I want you to demonstrate this off air later on, do little. You have uh, running tall with high hips and placing each foot directly beneath your centre of mass, keeping your arm action relaxed and efficient with rhythmical stride. What does high hips mean? I know, I've got low hips. I'm short. The way they tell you to imagine it, my old running coach, Anthony DeCostella, brother of famous one, um, great guy, might be listening, um, he would say running, I mean, to summarise it, there's a million things, but to summarise it, imagine you've got um, a string attached to the top of your head that's pulling you up Oh, that's Alexander technique, Ah, isn't it? Imagine you've got a string, and so pull yourself up tall and run tall. But you know what? If you've got bad technique, there are a million running groups that you can just jump on board through your local gym where there's a whole lot of good coaches who will help you. Mm. You probably don't need to do it if you're not getting pain or, you know, because you're not you're not wanting to run in a you know marathon necessarily. No, but anyway. no. You're, you're stealing all my thunder here, Doolittle. Oh, sorry. I know, but that's all good stuff. So the, the second tip is wear the right shoes. Again, I'm oh. just going to grab whatever I've got at home. I don't – if if I go to a specialist store, I'll just be, you know – swayed by the colour and, the, you know, the look yeah. of it. So I'm just going to wear what I've got. I disagree. I, I honestly do. You don't have to spend a lot. You know, there are really, really, really crap runners on the market that cost a fortune that are only being sold on the name of brand, colour and design. Whereas if you just go to the basic shops, even, the, you know, your basic ones have a treadmill in there and the, and they often have pet staff in there who are trained to at least tell you whether you've got a pronation or a whatever problem and they can, and about a third of people do. And if you're one of those third of people, they'll give you runners that are, um, have a firmer base on one side and it stops a lot of ankle injuries. Now, if you're not getting sore feet, you probably don't need to worry. But well, I agree with you. But what I'm saying is I will go there and be influenced by the colour. Go that's in. Why I'm, that's yeah. why I'm just going to stick with what I've got until I get sore feet. Just close your eyes when you go in and say, I want shoes <laughs> and see what you walk on out my with. Feet. Yeah. Number three is set goals. I quite, that's a good idea. So I'm not going to be running a mar- marathon, as you said, but I might think about doing some fun run in summer with my daughter. So that was – I like – 
number three. Number four, I also like this one, mix it up, which means, because as you said, I get very bored mm. exercising after the first five minutes. So mixing up your jogging routes and your ven- venues, altering the distance, taking care, as it says here, to make sure you know where you're going, because if you get too far, you might need to call Uber. <laughs> um, so making sure they you They have know. really set the bar low oh, for these tips, It's like, you know, tips for people who are suffering cognitive decline. <laughs> when you run, don't, don't get, get lost. Get lost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you do, carry a phone to call Uber. <laughs> Uh, become a social jogger is number five. Um, great way to be social. Personally, I actually will want this to be my mental health time. I speak to people all day about their problems, so I'm actually not wanting to make this a social event. So I just plan on It's also jogging. embarrassing when everyone else is a good runner and you're hopeless. And I haven't got the high hip thing happening. <laughs> yeah, it's particularly <laughs> embarrassing. But the other thing too is the moment you start doing it with other people, you've got to get in, you've got to, um, it becomes a little bit of a chore because, oh, we're meeting at 10 o'clock and I've got to get yes. to the meeting spot. Whereas like you, I want to say, oh, oh, I'm going to have dinner in a half an hour, might squeeze in 25-minute run. Exactly. And I want to put my runners on and go out the door. And also, oh, the piece, you know, I'm the same as you. You talk, 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 talk all day and listen, listen, listen. Oh, you hate talking, people are, do you? I know. <laughs> and it's so annoying when other people talk and, and so I listen. can't talk. <laughs> I find so those people so frustrating. you half an hour to just talk to yourself. I know. And yeah. in psychiatry, they think I want to hear about their problems. I've got a life too. <laughs> no, um, number but, six. Sorry, number sorry, six complete. is smart up your jog. Now, this one I have a lot of problems with. Here we're talking about technology, jogging for the new age athlete, where you've got smartphone apps and trackers that will monitor and give you your split times, blah, blah, blah. Anything that is techno-centric, I'm out. For that reason, I'm out. I won't be doing anything like that because I just don't... I just want to, as you just said, get out the door, run, come home and get on with the rest of my life. So I don't think that particular uh, tip appeals to me either. That's a personality-oriented one, yeah. isn't it? If you're a bit of a measurer Clearly. and you like all... Because, you know, I, I sort of might have an Excel you spreadsheet that has every it. race I've ever been into broken down into different legs and conditions oh, and stuff, you know. I actually wondered whether you time. wrote this list. But anyway, <laughs> lastly... and the other, So that's the six that were recommended in this article. I've added a couple of my own. Oh, good. Make sure you listen to your body and go slow. I'm planning on jogging and probably walking half-half to start with. Absolutely the most important number one tip. Well, the commonest reason I see people, especially over the age of about 35, 40, they think that they can run just like they did when they were 18. They yes. haven't run for 10 or 15 years and they go out and they start running 5Ks a day or half an hour a day. And you just cannot, you've got to build up to it. You've got to, you know, when I, even if I take a six-week break from training, when I go back to running, I do two minutes running, two minutes walking, two minutes running, and I limit it to 10 minutes running a day and then I build up by about two minutes a week. So, yep. And I'll only run it three times. Yep. You've got to do that or you get injuries and the ta- number of times you see people who get back into it six months down the ta- down the track either plantar fasciitis or stress fractures in the lower legs because they went out too hard too and they hard. thought that they yeah. were 18 okay so that's my number that was one for me another one is make sure if you do have any medical problems you should speak to your doctor first particularly if you're a bit older over the age of 40 or have got any chronic medical conditions it's always good to be checked out and make sure you're ready to go and then finally which is actually not my advice but unsolicited advice from my husband is stop talking about it and just get out there and do it that so sounds like your husband I know and it's true <laughs> yeah. you said that to me yesterday yeah. so there you go he'll have turned off this radio show by now because he'll think they took too long to talk about that I'm yeah. going for a run. Exactly. So that's it for me. Oh, nice. Out. And so, you know, are you, you know, Olympics, I'm still obsessed with the Olympics. Do we like it? 
Do we something not? I'm, we were talking about the trickle down effect you mentioned briefly yeah. before, yes. and something I've noticed is I think I hope it's going to do some good things for women's sport because some of the women's sports teams that otherwise are completely unnoticed are doing really great things. Maybe there'll be a huge interest in women's rugby all rugby, of a sudden yeah. since we've done well there, and I, I think that's a that's a really I positive think it, thing. I think the it will too because one of the commonest um, misconceptions about women's sport is it's not as interesting as men's sport, mm. which is and when you watch like the say the women's soccer yesterday where the Matildas just got you know only just pipped at the post in a penalty mm. shootout against the, you know the home team, uh, you know I mean, that is as good as any match of. Well, any sport I've seen. Yes. Uh, you know, and so it does. It, it changes a lot of the, the misconceptions, misperceptions mm. out there. Yes. I must admit, my favourite bit of the Olympics is always the backstories. I'm a real oh, sucker yeah. for the backstories and like to have a bit of a cry. So, um, <laughs> you know, as much as I like watching the uh, athletic endeavour, I do like a good backstory. So you're into the refugee team then? Yeah, all that stuff. Mm. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the guy and who I like swimming. waiting the extra five minutes for them to finish too. <laughs> I'm joking, they are fat. You know about the refugee team, though? You know, my son said to me, what's with the refugee team? And, you know, I explained the background to it. And he said, do you think that sort of thing helps? And I said, well, I suspect there's around about um, a million parents right at this very minute explaining what the refugee team's about. And so, yes, I reckon it does help. Sport's hugely powerful for those sorts of things, like the Pride AFL game that happened last night. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sport and music. What about you, Erica? Have you flicked on? Have you turned on the Olympics? You look athletic. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> you can tell by the silence here. I, I walk into the cafe at work sometimes, and that's my two-minute shot of um, the Olympics. Do you do a stretch before you walk in there? You know, just to <laughs> make sure you don't get injured. A warm up. Yeah. But you know the one thing that sort of does get me about the Olympics is that sort of, you know, I'm gonna I'm in a swearing mood this morning. It just shits me a little bit. Is all the patriotism because it always mm. just you know it, the patriotism and racism are two sides of the one coin. It strikes yeah, me, sure. and all that you know, me, 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 USA, Australia. Yeah, oi, 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 Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Um, you know, it just drives me to distraction. I just wish they'd turn that bit down. And just, I don't know. Yeah, yes, I am agree. I? Um, yeah, 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 I agree. Hey, um, you've just been listening to our catch-up section on radiotherapy. After this, we've got um, Dr. Erica Sloan telling us about cancer and stress. And what else did I want to remind you? That it's Radiothon next week. And I wanted to remind you we've got a Facebook page, Radiotherapy on Triple R. Triple R. Sit up straight, everyone. Straighten your backs. Get your pens and papers out to take notes. Dr. Erica Sloan. Erica is a cancer biologist, as I said earlier, at Monash Institute of Pharmaceutical Sciences and a senior lecturer at Monash University. Her team inv- investigate the bi-directional relationship between stress and cancer. See, I'd never say bi-directional That's unless I've done research and <laughs> written it down first. Um, uh, they use all sorts of mouse models to study cancer, but then they relate it, of course, to humans. And uh, rather than me telling you all the details, I'm going to let Erica tell you straight off. So again, hi, Erica, and thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. So why don't you begin with a little bit of a thumbnail sketch about what your research is about? Okay. So while we've started with bidirectional, <laughs> the brain, the mind talking to the body and the body yep. talking back to the mind and that, that relationship that, that sort of keeps us on track and can get us a bit off track sometimes. Yep. So my lab has been interested in how stress, how we perceive the world, gets into our heads and then gets transmitted into our body and affects our health. Mm-hmm. And we've been particularly interested in that with cancer. And so we've been looking at the molecular and the cellular level interactions and how stress signals into the body talks to our cells in a way that doesn't help us if we have cancer. Fantastic. You know, because one of the things that's uh, struck me over the decades sort of following this sort of train of research 
has been the struggle people have had defining stress, um, trying to find measures for stress and looking at the different sorts of stresses. What do you consider to be the different stresses that um, might impact in this relationship? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, just to, to talk about that for a minute, it's been a lot of the reason why this research has really yep. been held up because stress is such a slippery topic. Mm. It's a We all kind of know it when we feel it. But what is it? Because what I find incredibly stressful, you're just like, ah, I come in here every Sunday, walk in the park. (laughs) Um, I make a fool of myself every (laughs) Sunday. Why should this one be any different? (laughs) So for, for us and for the sake of this conversation, stress is the adrenaline signal that gets down into our body and it triggers inflammation. And that's fine on a very acute basis. Uh, the adrenaline can get us out of a situation. Yep. In the way distant past, it was away from a saber-toothed tiger. Now yep. it's out of the way of the tram. The old flight or fright response. Absolutely. But when that goes on, you flight or fight. I, get you. I think I got confused <laughs> Lots there. of different F words in there. You know what I mean. It gets you <laughs> out of the way. Yeah. Um, Saves your life. But when that's ongoing and when that coincides with a disease, mm. chronic disease like cancer, then that's when it starts having problems. So for us, it's, it's particularly adrenaline that seems to be important mm-hmm. in having these effects on cancer. And part of what, it, what adrenaline does is increases inflammation. Right. Team, who wants to jump in with the next question? Because I know you'll go mad if I take them all. Well, I guess... Um well, how do you define stress then? What mm. um, I'm, I'm interested in the difference between physiological stress mm-hmm. and emotional stress and how those two kind of yeah. tie together. And you've kind of elaborated a little bit on that. But, um, Absolutely. How, I guess what I'm interested in is when patients say to me, "Is I'm very stressed, is that why I've got this whatever it is? What do I say to them? Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. Because cancer is such a stressful time. And then so to really one thing we don't want to do is add to that burden by saying, oh, and don't be stressed. That's really bad. Exactly. <laughs> so I reckon that actually, I, I really noticed that, especially in the 90s, because a lot of stuff came out in the 90s around, um, you know, around people who didn't ha- handle their cancer well and, and didn't deal with their stress um, would have a worse outcome. And, it's, and it almost ended up, it didn't intend to, it was well-meaning people, but it sort of almost intended up, ended up, victim mm. shaming blaming mm. it almost felt like well if you're having a bad outcome maybe you just maybe you just haven't tried hard it's enough it's your fault mm. and yes. it just felt weird and it almost gave the whole research area in this domain a little bit of a um uh, I think it set it back a little bit because it it, it, it just went down this funny pathway. Mm, yeah. No, look, it, it really is something that is not at all where our research goes. So to start with, we find absolutely no evidence that stress causes cancer. That What we do find is that if a patient has cancer, then there's the possibility that certainly for a subset of people, stress can accelerate that. And so what it really suggests is this knowledge is something that can empower both patients but also how we treat those patients to not just, oh, you have a cancer, let's get it out, but how can we support you as a whole person so that we support your well-being, not just because well-being is a sort of nice, fluffy concept, but because that's absolutely imperative to ensuring the cancer doesn't come back mm-hmm. and to stopping the spread afterwards. Mm-hmm. Okay. What about um, the mechanisms? So mm-hmm. if stress might 
in some way make cancer worse. I'm really interested, by the way, to hear that you say there's no evidence that stress causes cancer. I've never seen any either, but it's it's one of those big things that people, mm. you know, it's in the popular popular world. I've never found that, mm. you know, the big thing, in fact, you know, nearly every big illness that people over the years have thought that stress causes turned out not to. The biggest one of a lot, of course, was um, ulcers, ulcers yeah. which turned out to be due to a bacteria and, you know, an Australian person won a Nobel Prize. Um, I thought we all should have shared it because we're all Australian, but anyway, that's he took it all to himself. Well, two of them. Um <laughs> I consider we're all Nobel Prize winners. I'm getting sidetracked again. So it's never. So I'm interested to hear you say that. But so how could stress make cancer worse? Is it is it um, lifestyle things like if you're stressed you don't remember take your treatments, or is it physiological things? So it can be both. It certainly can be if you're very stressed. If you don't feel you have a social network, there may not be someone who can help you get to the appointment or remind you to take your drugs. But it's more than that. So adrenaline gets into our body and it acts on our heart and makes us respond. You know, your heart beats faster, blood is pumping more. But it also acts on cells of the immune system. Um, They have receptors that hear adrenaline and cancer cells also have receptors that allow them to hear adrenaline and so when that happens they behave differently the cancer cells become much more invasive they start exploring the environment around them and can start to move from where they're originally located and that process of spread is called metastasis and is what is responsible for most of the deaths from cancer can i just interrupt for one second that is so fascinating because it's exactly like what happens at a human level when we've got adrenaline flowing through we're more hyperactive we're more likely to explore we're more likely to run we're more likely to do stuff. So the little tinchy winchy winchy cells. Imagine yours. Oh, no. <laughs> Mine must be so cool. Um, so the little tinchy winchy cells are doing exactly the same thing. They're getting a taste of adrenaline and it's making them more, in a sense, hyperactive, more likely to spread, more likely metastases. And I think metastases counts for about 30% of cancer deaths, doesn't it? Or the majority. More. Oh, far more. Far yeah, more. Sorry. I Got thought cortisol was the stress. Absolutely. Chemical hormone. Yeah. yeah. So cortisol is also being released. And not to say that cortisol is not doing something, it also is quite immunosuppressive. But we've found that if we block the effects of adrenaline, that's enough. That's mm. all we need to do to stop the effect of stress on cancer. So it's not saying cortisol is not involved, but we've really focused on, on the adrenaline side because <coughs> that seems to be sufficient. Mm. Okay. One of the big stresses your research I saw talked about because I watched a program on Catalyst. You guys are on Catalyst. Uh, In fact, I think I put a link to it on our Facebook page. I can't remember what I I put. I put a link to something. But you can search it if you want to listen, if you want to watch people. It's really cool. It's about a 10, 15-minute segment covering the whole stuff. It was about the potential stress of surgery. And the reason I wanted to bring that up is because it's just a good um, contrast to the stress of everyday life and facing cancer and having treatments and worrying about your life. Um, the idea that surgery in itself can be a big stress. The very thing we're doing to try and cut out the cancer might be a big stress. Yeah. And it also gives you a really nice um, circumscribed event to research. What are you doing around studying surgery and stress? Yeah, a lot of our research now it has come around that. And I was actually incredibly sceptical. So it was initially the anaesthetists at Peter Mac who came and had a chat with us and said what about this this is a huge stressor and Mm. 80 percent of patients will have surgery to remove the tumor and actually our our research really suggests that that is an incredibly vulnerable period Um, so we can we do experiments in mice where we give them cancer and we resect the tumors we treat them just like furry four-legged patients i love mice too (laughs) thank you on behalf of other mice yes um (laughs) 
We're curing cancer. <laughs> in mice. After you give it to them. <laughs> yes. Slightly mean. Okay. No, I'm staring. We you keep found going. was, and we, we do this because we can control so many yep. things. So you go into patients and they're all so different that it's really hard to work yep. out, well, what is the effect of surgery? What is the effect of diet, exercise, all these other things going on? So we can really control these and just look at what it is we're interested in. If we block the stress response for a 24-hour window, just starting an hour before surgery, we can completely stop recurrence. Yeah, with no effect on the surgery. So you can give something to block the effect of adrenaline, 24 hours, remove that um, the physiological effect of the stress of surgery. They still get all the benefits of their surgery, but they don't get the other risks. They don't get I the just cancer love it. coming back. It's yeah. absolutely stunning. And so we're really putting a lot more effort into investigating that and really seeing whether or not we can do something, whether the choices of the drugs that we make during that perioperative period can affect long-term outcomes. Wow, that's so fascinating. Mm. You've mentioned that you can block the stress response, you can block adrenaline. Is that something we can do in people as well as mice? Yeah, so we're using a drug called a beta blocker, which I'm sure you familiar with has been used for more than 30 years in cardiac for cardiac issues for hypertension used off label for anxiety and so we can we're we're exploring the use of that as a way of blocking adrenaline stopping it from the cells from hearing adrenaline Um, and we're actually so we've, we've got some amazing results in mice but we're taking this into patients and so at the moment we have a clinical study at peter mack where we're looking at how patients respond um, so that we start them on either beta blocker or a placebo before surgery and they take one of the medications through until after surgery and we're looking at what that does to genes that might otherwise be involved in metastasis. We hypothesise that if we block the stress response then we'll see less of these metastatic genes, less inflammation. Hey, we're going to come back on this point so just freeze there for a sec. You're listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 R in Melbourne, Australia. Hey, that's a pretty cool um, station break. Hey, we're back on air, too. We've got to stop chatting away. Sorry. I'm I'm, by the way, in case people on the radio didn't know, I gave my stern look then, which no one ever takes notice of my stern look because it really is so fake. No wonder my child misbehaves. <laughs> hey, uh, you listen to Radiotherapy. I'll just bring you back on track, everyone. Um, we are talking to Dr. Erica Sloan. You've got Dr. Capri in the studio, Dr. Trainer Wills, myself, Dr. Doolittle. And um, you were actually in the middle of a question, weren't you? I better let you go, um, Trainer Wills. Oh, thanks. Um, so we were talking a little bit about how your research, Dr. Erica Sloan, is... Oh, so nice the way you do that tagging. Um, is translatable in humans and it's sort of something you're investigating and it's possibly promising and we'll see what what happens there but what would you say to a current patient who's worried about their stress levels and um a a patient with cancer what sort of what sort of advice would you give so i'm sitting here with three doctors or doctors to be and i'm thinking that you guys are probably the ones to answer this question um certainly to talk to I w- I'd recommend patients talk to their clinicians and talk to them about that. And if you if your clinician is sceptical about stress, then show them our papers. And if they're still sceptical, well, tell them to call me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but certainly there are many ways to, to address this. I mean, we were talking before about exercise. There's a huge sort of body of literature around exercise, diet. Um, yeah, lots of different ways you can approach stress levels. You know, because it's sort of... Um 
it's an in, it's an interesting one that one because if someone, in all honesty, said to me, you know, what do, what do you think? I've got cancer, and I'm you know I've read this stuff in the seen it on Catalyst and read it in the paper, and I've seen this doctor Erica Sloan. She seems pretty smart, very smart. Sorry, Erica. Um, and uh, should I worry about my stress? I'd say, well, you know what? If you look at all the studies at this stage, we don't know for sure, mm. so it's hard to know. However, what we do know is regardless of whether you've got cancer, you should be looking after your mental health. Mm. And, you know, although it's a catch cry, it's always, you know, the five pillars of psychological, you know, well-being, mental health, hygiene, whatever you want to call it, which comes down to, you know, some of the stuff we've already talked about. It's exercise, nutrition, sleep, reducing your stress, always is one of the big ones, and attending to your relationships. The first three are pretty obvious. You know, nutrition, it's not, don't drink too much alcohol, minimise your caffeine, eat some vegetables and some, what's that other stuff called? Capri salad, or what, what's it called? That you guys eat? Yeah, the green stuff. Salad, Salad. yeah. Fruit? It's nice. Yeah, fruit, I've heard of that one too. And a lot of them, like oranges, you can play sport with too, so they multitask. (laughs) Um, So what did we have? Exercise and sleep. Sleep's tricky, but you can look it up on the internet. It's dead easy. What's that? And don't smoke. Yes, smoking's apparently bad for you. Yeah. Um, in fact, on the topic of sleep, read this fant. If you um, on get the internet, have a look at there was a fiddling um, with the internet. If you're fiddling <laughs> with the internet, <laughs> Google um, Google the monthly. Karen Hitchcock. Oh. She wrote the best article I'd seen on sleep in a long time. I just I read every word she writes. I love her. Um, and then the other two, stress and relationships. Now they're the hard ones. Stress. You know what the main thing we do, America, to teach people about handling stress is just basic problems. We do, a, you know, we talk to them about various stresses and teach them relaxation, meditation, recommend yoga, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But the other big thing we do is just talk to people about problem solving. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, um, especially when they're sick with something like cancer, when they're facing thirty big decisions at once, yeah. and they've got twenty relatives telling them different things, and a partner, and children, and parents, and whatever, um, it's problem. It's teasing it through. So often we teach them just basic problem solving: a bit of paper, draw a line down the middle, write pros on one side, write cons on the other, jot them down, write down the three biggest um, potential solutions you've got, look at the pros and cons, decide which solution you're going to try first. That's your first. If it doesn't work, second is the next one. You know, basic stuff. It's about breaking it. It's not actually rocket science. That's why I said it so quick. Um, It's not actually rocket science. And um, it's obvious that you need to do it anyway. It's interesting. It kind of comes to your question before about how does a patient, what is stress for a patient? And yes, there's surgical stress and that's a given and we just do what we can around that to minimise it. But for something like psychological stress, it's that feeling that you can't cope again and again. And so some of the strategies you just described, Doodle, Doolittle, are around making it so you can cope. Pros and cons, just the the really simple strategies. Mm. Even if that's that's not doing anything for your cancer it's going to make you have a better time right it's yeah going to decrease well, your risk of so many other things to yeah. pick up on something you said at the start as a clinician you feel that well stress is a bit of a hazy topic we don't really know how well it does link in that is absolutely the case for human studies there are a lot of human studies there most of them are retrospective we go back into databases we ask the patient at the time did they feel stress well, sure, yeah. Of course they did. Mm. And then we look at how their outcomes and how they did. And that's fine. That's a great approach. But there's a lot of other things going on in patients' lives. There's a lot of other things to do with their health. There's a lot of other things to do with their well-being. And so this is why my lab's taken a quite a different approach and using mouse models to look at what happens at a cellular level rather than yet another retrospective study in patients, which is just going to add to this sort of confusing literature that's already out there. Hey, we've got to come back and... And Trainer was going to tell us about a movie that she saw, and we need to leave, leave her adequate time. So I'm cutting it off. Ha ha ha. I'm sorry. Um, Erica, uh, you're going to stick around anyway. But thanks so much for explaining all that. We want to hear more about this as time goes on, and I'm sorry that we could talk about this for hours, quite obviously. It's such a fascinating topic. 
Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. Thanks for joining us, everyone. We've been having a fun chat. We talked about exercise. We talked about cancer and stress and the bi-directional relationship. But now we are going to go to the movies. We need movie theme for you. That'd um, be nice. Train wheels, what do you got for us? Well, as a lot of you may know, the Melbourne International Film Festival comes to a close this weekend. And speaking of stress, I did manage to go and see a few films, despite studying. Um, and one film I saw was called Nuts, a documentary, and it was very good. And I'd like to talk about that for a little bit, if that's all right. You sound like such a medical student. Today, you know, you've got, like, the lectures in front of you and all the students. Um, today, for my homework, I'm <laughs> say, and I've written, written a movie report. My name's Trainee Wheels. I'm a first-year medical student, and I'd like to perform it. Mm, yeah. oh, okay, you're even getting our consent. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm very Is that okay with everyone? Yeah. Yeah. You're right, I'll just wash my hands. Okay, so Nuts... Nuts tells the story of a man called John Romulus Brinkley. Is that the best name you've ever heard? Romulus. Romulus. John like Romulus, Romulus and Remus. Yes. Who, um, what are they dating? Something Rome? around Rome. Yeah. Yeah. They, they said, I like they these hills. Let's make a city. Yeah, they were raised by yeah. wolves. Yeah, okay. So, so not, not them, anyway. No. Another guy. Because <laughs> right. um, they didn't have movies back then, did they? I don't think so. No. no. Shame. So he was a man who came from nothing, of course, and practised as a doctor in small-town Milford, Kansas. I just love people who come from nothing. They all <laughs> seem to, don't they? Yeah. Um, this was in 1918, and he happened upon a seemingly miraculous cure for male impotence. Mm. What was it? Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> I, all of a sudden, I picked up my pen. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you been fiddling with the internet enough? Dude? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Stop. Oh, taking off today. my headphones. Oh, my eyes are watering. Okay, get back to the movie. So, reboot. just to talk a little bit about the film, if I may, the uh, the documentary it was very cleverly done. It used a combination of historical photographs and footage, and it interviewed historians, and it also used animation very cleverly to recreate um, historical scenes, which mm. was quite fun. Um, and so, how did he do it? How did he cure impotence? I know Doolittle's hanging on the edge of his seat. Not the internet, obviously. (laughs) Not the internet. No, this is before the internet. So the film opens with a scene of a male patient of Brinkley's coming to visit complaining of his problem with impotence. And the patient looks outside and sees two goats engaging in intimate activity in a manner that this man could only dream of. And he laments that his testicles don't seem to perform with quite the same vigour. And that's where Brinkley's cure is born. So a patient suggested it. A patient suge- yeah. suggested, so according cure, to the film... So his cure was to, um, to relate to goats. He grafted goat glands... Glands. In inverted commas. Testicles. Yes. Right. Into human scrotums. Yep. Wow. Yep. That was the cure. Brilliant. Just genius. <laughs> and it seemed to work really well, right? Genius. I looked out the window the other day. <laughs> Did you see some goats? No. <laughs> Inspired by... That is goat. just bizarre. How can anyone define a treatment based on their patient looked out the window? Anyway, I'll look, let you go on. Look, I mean, he was a, he was a character, certainly, Mr Brinkley. Um, so it seemed to work. This first patient was very, very pleased. He yep. conceived a child shortly after receiving this transplant. Can I interrupt one second, though? Certainly. Did he keep his own gonads and just get an extra set? Or as fa- Look, the science wasn't clear. Right. But okay. I, as far as I know, yes, it was just an ax- an extra little implant. Right. And he, okay. yes. Just some tissue, probably. I believe so, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, so he conceived and named his son Billy, appropriately. Oh, no. <laughs> truly, oh, truly. Steve. Who on earth <laughs> named their son Billy? <laughs> When I pick up my son later, <laughs> I'm going to say, hey, uh, Bill, how are you, son? And I'm going to go, 
Is that something noise? you need to know about the way you were conceived. Yeah. Um, and there were hundreds of them, hundreds of patients that were really pleased and suffered from impotence for years and years and had this miraculous recovery. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I'm this thinking... This is a story we've had a million times, not sure. necessarily with goat testicles. You know, someone comes up with a wacky treatment and... Uh, and um, People Hundreds of people say it's fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. yep. So at this stage, I'm thinking, look, this film's great. I'm loving the way it's put together. <laughs> Don't quite know about the science, but, you know, it seems legit. Look at all these happy patients. It must be, I don't know, you know, maybe he's managed to isolate testosterone or something. You know, who knows? Yep. Who knows? What's happening? What's happening? Go with it. Yeah, serendipitous so, discovery coming exactly. up. Soon the science is going to explain the phenomena. That's we right. Hope. That's what I was thinking, yep. So Brinkley ends up starting a radio station and advertises his cures. The radio <sighs> station's called KFKB, Kansas Folks Know Best. Um, oh, don't they just? Apparently, don't they just? according no. to Brinkley, yes. But don't you love the overlap between medicine and the radio? Well, <laughs> yes. I thought it was quite yeah. appropriate. Um, he had a thwarted attempt at a political career. Mm. He ended up having his radio and medical licences revoked by the American Medical Association. And his rise to greatness ended in freefall as his success and demagogic persona unravel. And we discovered that really everything about the guy was bollocks. What a... Oh! <laughs> oh! So now this is just rife throughout medical history discovery. People think, look, of, look at something for some wacky idea they think it might help. They trial it, one in about 500 works, and we use a process called science to figure out which of these one in <laughs> 500 or so wacky observations works. So if you, as a scientist, you know, were faced with this, so just, you know, just for the... You know, just for the science record, so to speak, what's how do you go about deciding whether this treatment works? Because at this stage, we're all saying, ah, you know, we're laughing and stuff. But maybe it, maybe it did work. To give it we're the time of day. How do you decide? Well, it depends how you feel about goats. <laughs> um, <laughs> goats, mice, you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, I'm, cu- I'm curious. At what point did he believe it? Well, this is the interesting thing, isn't it? Did he Did he know he was misleading everybody or did he really believe in this thing because it did turn out he was also selling these you know tonics and it turned out that they were just water with food dye in them. Mm, so obviously okay. that right. was... So it was a bit of a con man as well as... Yeah. A, yeah. Isn't on, yes. Um, so controls. Yep. You would really want to see some controls. What would they look like? They would be probably surgery without implanting or with implanting something else. Yep. Something that in, hopefully is inert, neutral, a placebo. Mm. So to try and measure it. So essentially what you're saying is you try and do some sort of research where you match the treatment in as many ways as possible except for what they thought was a successful bit. You replace that with something inert, a placebo. So you do, say, a surgery and instead of implanting a bit of testicle, you'd implant either nothing or some other, nothing probably, and then six months later you'd measure how many of the people who got the testicles were still impotent and how many people who got the nothing were still impotent, yeah? yeah. And ideally you'd have no one knowing. So you wouldn't, the patients wouldn't know what they were getting and the doctors who were doing the test six months down the track wouldn't know who'd got the nothing and who'd got the beautiful, wonderful goat's testicles, yeah? Mm. 
Yep. Did they do that? Did they do any trials? Absolutely not. No, no. It oh, was no. all entirely based on testimony. Damn, I was hoping there was a trial. And there were there were a, a bunch ending. of so there were a bunch oh. of court cases brought against him, and um, his whole defence was just testimony. He'd have hundreds of happy patients come and talk about the wonders of the treatment, but then of course for every happy patient there were ten that died as a you know complication of the surgery or had no effect at all or you know had been spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on this tonic that was just water with food dye in it. And, um, so, you know, because the reality is these... Look, I'm, I'm wanting to call them charlatans, and it's probably a bit mean, sure. but um, people who are passionate about a treatment that they have that has not yet been proven. Okay. Sure, yeah. Uh, still rife. I could, yes. I could, you know, if I didn't want to get sued, if, if I wanted to get sued, I could <laughs> name 15 right now who are doctors as well as, of course, the millions of people who aren't doctors who also are passionate about some health treatment. And most my experience is they mostly believe it themselves. Mm. And um, they're passionate because they believe it. They've either tried it themselves or either fixed something they thought themselves. They're out there everywhere. It's not just in history. We always sit on the thinking to ourselves, oh, we're on the cutting edge of medical history and no one's been lived longer and da-da-da than us. But, of course, the next generation always comes along and says, oh, that last generation, what a bunch of fools. And they're going to say the same about us, of course. How do we distinguish... Dr. whatever his name was, Dr. Nuts, yeah. from the modern-day Dr. Nuts, from the, the other ones today, um, well, trainer. Dr. Thomas Goyer, who was in the paper this morning. For what? Who's exactly the same thing, that charlatanism. Go testicles, specifically? Well, no, but last year that he was in trouble because he was the one selling all the bogus stuff on for impotence and premature ejaculation. Oh, it's not He's far opened off. up a new clinic on helping people to lose weight, uh, extreme weight loss, 15 kilograms in 10 weeks, and you can do that for $4,000. And they've just been... Um, uh, pulled up because obviously that Who's pulled them up? Worked. Have they been found guilty? Uh, because otherwise we should be saying alleged, 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 alleged. alleged. Yes, alleged. Uh, look because I, I, don't, I don't know this case from a bar of soap, but of course for every person It's who, in the paper in the age today. Yeah, but even, yeah, so people can look it up themselves. Yeah, because yeah. of course just because someone makes a claim that someone's a charlatan too, of course doesn't That's mean they are. And Ruth. so it goes both ways, you know. So And sometimes the people say, um, often their defence is, this is just standard medical establishment trying to knock out the new guy. That's the, the, essentially their defence, that people are to get me and sometimes that turns out to be true yes so the only yes. thing that really gets us to the bottom i assume is some sort of decent scientific process it'd have to be yeah this i mean this this guy brinkley he got his medical diploma for 500 bucks from the i'll just find out the eclectic medical university of kansas city missouri i mean oh, that doesn't sound super legit right <laughs> so we do have you know a little bit more this is legitimized. why we do have the power in double-blinded randomized clinical studies where neither the patient nor the doctor knows what the patient is getting, whether it was goat testicle or mm. something else, and the, why that has so much power in it, because we do get so attached to our own science. Even you know, and you even see it. I, I, funnily enough, was reading an email that I forwarded on to one of my friends this morning. I was reading an email about um, a very senior doctor wrote an email questioning some. Um, it was actually some sort of vaccine thing, questioning because in his experience it hadn't been as good as people claimed, and, and you know that was just the essence of just a testimonial approach over an evidence based approach. And you know, I read it and giggled and forwarded it on to one of my friends who I knew would giggle, um, although he got giggle, he giggled and then got outraged, um, quite rightly. You know, it, it's. It's interesting. And the you know, hard so thing is this was a senior doctor. Even senior doctors, you know, and I'm not suggesting doctors have some great wisdom, but I'm, you'd think they'd at least understand evidence and know that they shouldn't send around an email saying that, you know, quoting their personal experience um, to argue against 30 years of research experience. Well, just... the testimony is just so powerful. That's the thing. And that yes. was, that's what was so 
fabulous about this film, I think, is it totally took me for a ride. I was really rooting for the guy, thinking, oh, he's anti-establishment <laughs> yeah. and the AMA just don't understand and he's discovered some great thing. And again, there's often truth behind that. The AMA do sometimes... They miss things, you know, right? And they knock people down who aren't doctors and, at times and, and they act like a bit of a... You know, we do tend to act like bullies sometimes. So I get why people are suspicious of us. For sure. I think the filmmaker made the point that she actually wanted everyone to feel, uh, feel the same in as much as we're all gullible. We all want to believe something uh, and if you believe enough then uh, if you put something out there that's believable enough people will believe it and then you just get that momentum and and you know it takes off as it did yep yeah exactly right Hey, nice one, nice one. Is, is people see the movie? Do you know? Is there I like a website? I don't know. It was on Miff. You could look it up. The, the website's nutsthefilm.com. Okay. So look it up, people. <laughs> Go and have a look at the film. They nearly always, once they've finished at Miff, you can either get them on website or some someplace picks them up or you can actually go to the, um, you know, you can pay sort of like a watch per pay thing. Mm. So it's um, worth having a look at. Hey, we've got a minute left till we hand over to the um, legends from Einstein and Go-Go, our um, favourite uh, show that's on at 11 o'clock on um, Three Triple R. Even if there was 15 shows to choose from, that would still be our favourite show. Um, but before we do, let's just say a few thank yous. First, Erica Sloan from Monash University um, researching cancer and its bi-directional. How many times can I say that word? Um, nature of Cancer and Stress. Thanks so much for coming in this morning. Thank you for having me. And um, Trainer Wheels and Capri, are we seeing you back next week for Radiothon? I can't remember. I might get the sack. Um, no, I'm not in. Oh, you're away, are I'm you? Away, you're, of yes. course, you're I'm gallivanting up, up north yep, in warm up weather. North, yep. I'm yep. in, yes. I'll be oh, here next week. And as we keep reminding people, um, please, uh, you know, jump on board next week. Have a bit of a listen. Um, and uh, please consider subscribing to 3RRR for all the wonderful things that come, come out of this institution all year round from, well, basically 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Also, don't forget to jump onto our Facebook page if you'd like to make a comment about the show or know anything more about what's coming up. And thanks, Kent, for um, panelling. He's got his thumbs up. And uh, have a nice Sunday, everyone. It's beautiful weather out there. It's a lovely day just to sit back and relax and listen to some more science. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.